welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Sure. Uh, my name is Mark Rickert, and uh, I own a company called Rickert Property Group, along with my wife. And can you hear me very well? Everybody yeah, we can hear you good. Perfect. Uh, I've been in real estate uh, this time for, we're in our fifth year. This is my second stint, so to speak, in real estate. Uh, my career spans high-tech real estate, high-tech real estate. <laughs> and uh, so I love the real estate game, and and uh, it's a lot of fun to be able to help people. So that's a little bit of my background in terms of professionally. Very cool. And and you've kind of built uh, a nice family business and kind of have uh, the family working all over the country, it sounds like, right? Yes, right now we have uh, five people on our six, actually, yeah, five people on our team, four of which are family members. And we've got a couple of new team members joining who are not family members. So we, uh, we open it up to family and not non-family, but uh, primarily the ownership piece of our company is family. And then our team, the team, uh, what do we call it? The, the team architecture is both family and non-family, helping people become successful uh, salespeople in real estate. Very cool. And we'll, um, we'll dive kind of into the, into the real estate stuff, uh, a little bit. We could probably talk real estate all day, <laughs> both yeah. me, me, me and Andy kind of have a, a real estate background. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, I thought it was very interesting cause you, uh, uh, Robert was telling me that you kind of, you, you spent some time in group homes as, as, uh, was it a, from a young age, right? Yes, I was. Um, if you want my you want my backstory as a as a kid and how it led to group homes and all that. Sure. Okay. Well, um, so I came from a broken home, uh, which was uh, fairly unusual at that time to have a divorce. It wasn't as common as today, and so um, that led to to being feeling isolated and you know just uh, all the things that come along with divorce even today with kids um, back then it was the same maybe even more magnified is that feeling of uh, I'm alone uh, I'm unusual there's something wrong with me what's wrong with my family uh, because like I said most people just didn't get divorced so what started happening Brandon was uh, I started acting out at a very young age um, and ended up uh, in juvenile hall at age nine, uh, which led me to get placed in a, a children's home uh, in Moscow, California, called, uh, at that time it was called Ming Kwong, and now I think they call it uh, Children and Family Services. Great organization. Okay. I spent three years there, and uh, it was pretty much for emotionally troubled children. Not just your garden variety type, but you know, kids who really were deep down into the weeds on uh, antisocial behavior. And so, I spent, like I said, three years there, intensive psychotherapy, and um, it was a great, a great uh, opportunity for me to 
changed my life. But guess we had group homes in there as well. And that was from age, uh, age nine to twelve. And from from there, did you go into uh, like an, another group home setting, or was that back back with your family? Well, I, I actually went into juvenile hall at age nine. I, I celebrated my ten year ten year birthday in juvenile hall. <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> transition into into another group home from there? Well, I was actually in three group homes while I was there. Um, the, the first one, obviously, on campus, and then uh, they had a school on, on site as well. So you, you couldn't go to public school because if you, if you weren't ready for prime time yet. And uh, so I, I went to school on campus, and then the second year, I was... Um, able to go to a public school, which was in, uh, yeah, that was uh, just the end, of, right before middle school, or junior high, as I used to call it. So I got moved to a different group home, and then uh, about a year later, I got moved to, like, the, the, the premier group home at the time, which was called Summit Cottage, and it was up on top of a hill with great views of, of the Silicon Valley, and it was a it was kind of like you were—you finally arrived, you know, as far as the group homes go. <laughs> very, very cool. And that was that in was that in Los Gatos? Yeah, that was in Los Gatos, up on the top of the hill there. Just a, a wonderful organization, and they really I, do so. I know, I know those hills well, actually. <laughs> I used to, I worked at a, a long, long time ago, the Toll House Hotel. Oh sure. <laughs> right before you hop on, right before you hop on seventeen. <laughs> um so that's cool it sounds like uh you know gr group homes they get if, if you look it up like on online or on the news and just type in group home there's a lot of bad press out there for some reason it sounds like a lot of like group home owners um you can make quite a bit of money and it seems like there's a lot of people out there that kind of take advantage of the system um but it, it sounds like you you had uh, you know it was bad experience to get in there. But once you got in there, it sounds like you you kind of had a relatively good experience with the group homes, correct? I sure did, Brandon. Uh, the people at at uh, Kwong, they they cared a lot. In fact, they had a house. They called them house parents. So you had a you had a kind of a quasi mom. The quasi dad, right? Uh -huh. Something I didn't have because, like, my mother was a very, um, you know, I mean, this she's no longer alive. She died in 1975, but uh, she was not really fit to be a mom. She had her own struggles in life, and and was very irresponsible. And so, to go from 
having a, a, a parent who is never available emotionally or physically or anything thereof um, to go to a place that actually had this quasi-mother and quasi-father that would, would care about us, it was a great feeling. And so I have nothing but good experiences to talk about in those group homes. Perfect. And, and that's really something that could that that could make it or break it. I mean, if so, if, if they didn't have to, if they weren't in it for the right reasons, that I mean, imagine if 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 uh, think of the one eighty <laughs> that that could have that could have happened. Sure. So for for folks listening out there, if you know, pretty much everybody I've ever talked to that comes to us is is here because they want to help people out. But this just goes to show you, um, if, if you do approach it the right way, you're in it for the right reasons, uh, the effect that it can have, the positive that it, effect that it can have on us. That's a great um, point. Yeah. I think what you're saying is so important because, you know, when I was growing up, I'm almost 60 now. And so when I was growing up, I think there's been something lost in society that's not discussed much. And I'm sure it impacts the group home industry. Uh, and, and individual group homes also, collectively, it, it has to do with the fact that people used to really take a pride in their craft. If you were a carpenter, you took pride in being precision and knowing how to measure and cut and nail and not just use a, you know, a staple gun to get it done, a wham, bam, thank you type thing. And, mm-hmm. and now I think that because back then people took more pride in their craft, the uh, I'm not saying that doesn't happen today, but I think the, the amount of people that take pride in their craft in terms of helping people and really believing that we human beings can impact other human beings in ways that they don't even, most people can't conceive, you know. I have people that have helped me in my life that I've talked to them, they they kind of wrote me a talk about it, but... Yeah, and you you brought up a, a really great point. It's something that you can see customer service when you go to like a store, um, cashiers, <laughs> pretty much it. Yeah, like everything, you can kind of see that. But that's almost, to folks listening out there who are looking to start their own business, that's almost an advantage. Because now when you do, you know, Andy is doing, uh, he's probably doing, he's working on, uh, he does like construction, you know, rehabbing. Andy, can you hear me out there? Yeah, sorry, I had a phone call coming in. What, What was your question? Um, Mark was talking about just how something's kind of been lost in our society and people taking, uh, you know, uh, pride in their work and their craft. And I think it's almost an advantage to people who are, you know, looking to start their own business, because if you do take pride in your craft, you stand out. So like, imagine, you know, like we were talking about electricians or contractors, when you get somebody that actually does the job well and, and takes pride in their work, that person like shines now, right? Absolutely. And I, I, I completely agree. I was nodding my head 
when you were talking about that because it has been lost and um unfortunately people people don't really take as much pride in ownership or in craftsmanship as they did you know even 20 or 30 years ago it's 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 lost it's been lost yeah so for for those listening out there and and you're looking to start a group home how head over to google news punch in the term group home and take a look at what your competition is like. <laughs> You'll just hear nightmare story after nightmare story. So for, for somebody who's in it for the right reasons and gives great service, like the folks that, that Mark uh, grew up with, you're, you're going to stand out. You're going to, the, the, uh, the word of mouth is going to travel. You're going to start to get a really good reputation. Um, and then you can, you can take it from there. <laughs> and, and if I may comment on that, um, if, if you go to a restaurant and you have a bad time, you're going to tell nine or 10 people. If yeah. you go to a restaurant and you have a good time, chances are you'll tell one or two people. These are statistics and the news is going to do the same thing. So the news is going to consistently talk about the bad things with group homes or bad things with group home owners versus the good things. That's yeah. the way that the news operates. Um, so don't be dissuaded, number one, from getting into an industry where you can truly impact people positively just because you've listened to the news. And then on the flip side of the coin, to, to Brandon's point earlier, you really do want to go out there and analyze your competition. And to Brandon's point, if you just have some pride in what you're doing and you go out there with the intent to help people, similar to how Mark was helped, um, you're, you're going to be able to thrive. Exactly. And, uh, I, I find it in, in really anything, like uh, even if a cashier is like friendly to me, I'm like, it's so, <laughs> it like stands out. You're like, oh man, that, 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 that was a great experience because it's so rare now. Um, Mark, were you, were you saying something? I was going to say something about the, idea of being of service to others first like i write i have a planner i'm kind of old-fashioned i still use a franklin planner in addition to my electronic calendars and all that i like to use you know uh, outlook for my for my time blocking and calendaring and whatnot but the paper calendar is nice because it's tactical but i write something in there every single day and you know what that is um, something regarding service. It, it, I write the word or the sentence, whatever you want to call it, that word, being of service to others. Be of service to others. Like if I look in there right now, I haven't done it today, my morning's been, but I will. By the end of the day, I will always have it. Say for an example, it says, it says, uh, being of service to others. And, and it reminds me what, I need to do in life. And if, and if you guys know better than anybody, if you're being of service to others in the group home industry and you really care about your people and not, it's just not a money grab, you're going to be, you're going to be very successful and you're going to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Uh, I don't think we have an official motto yet, but it's slowly becoming uh, the more, <laughs> the more people you help, the more money you make. So it's, it's almost, if, if you're in it just for the money, it's going to have, uh, 
it's not going to work out. It's kind of counterintuitive, but that's just that we, we, we've definitely found the same thing. Um, Robert, when, when, when we, when we spoke, it, I think it kind of clicked, uh, that you, you actually had a, a stay in, it, it was a group home setting as well, but you weren't <laughs> like, didn't really think of it as that. Do you, do you want to, you want to speak about that? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been one of the fortunate ones that, uh, I've, I've, uh, my life was on a certain path and, and certain life events happened to where I, uh, turned it around. I mean, through, through the help of folks at the group homes, um, basically long story short, I was, uh, you know, engaging in certain, uh, illegal activities and I was given a chance luckily in the in the county I was in uh Santa Clara County in California um it's highly it's very progressive as far as those laws go so I was sent to a uh, treatment center and uh of course at first I was just I was stuck in my ways and I was thinking like oh I'm just gonna kind of like you know get through go through the motions and and trick the system and uh what ended up happening, thanks to the folks over at the group home that, again, truly cared and, and everything, uh, I, uh, you know, was able to make the make the moves to turn my life around, and here I am now, you know, working with family and uh, doing what I love, real estate, and couldn't have, couldn't be happier. Beautiful. So that's not just one, but two examples of where. If you do give great, great service at your group homes, these are the type of success stories that your homes can have. Um, and, and Robert, that was, uh, it was in a re- you know, residential setting, correct? With, with other people going through similar situation as, as yourself? Yeah, that's right. So it was actually two phases also. Um, the first phase was residential, but um, I mean, you can leave if you wanted to, but then you were basically uh, giving up all of the service and, and whatnot, and you were pretty much on your own. So I was there for a good amount of time, just um, essentially, you know, locked down more or less. Um, and and it was uh, it was a uh, you know sober living type environment. And actually, on the third of October, just a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated two years of sobriety. Nice, man. Congrats. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, that's, again, thanks to the group homes. So it was uh, was a residential facility. Um, You know, we got three meals a day and did groups all day pretty much. And then the second phase was sort of moving more into the real world with still some uh, structure and curfews and whatnot. Kind of a, a, a transitional group home setting. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so that's what that's what we you know we we teach folks that come to us really how to how to do the same thing that the that, that owner probably did. <clears throat> um, very cool. And now you guys are uh, so you, you you have like a kind of a traditional real estate brokerage set up, kind of the family family business, and then you you're investing in a multifamily as well, correct? Yeah. So the structure of, of- um, so t- going way back, my, my father, who, um, after my mom passed away, I was in a foster home at age 15 after mm-hmm. I left Hong Kong and, uh, she, she, my mom died of cancer. And, uh, and so for those that think like you, life, you, you can't get through stuff or 
you're dealing with people that feel like they can't get through stuff, there's, there's, we can always, we can always overcome. Oh, yeah. So bright side. So the bright side is, uh, believe it or not, my mom passed away. And people look at me odd when I say that. Well, what do you, why do you say that? Because it was a blessing. She passed away because I, then I got to go live with my father, who was uh, a real estate and still is a real estate investor since 1965. We developed mobile home parks, manufactured home communities throughout the Southeast. And so I got to learn real estate from a young age and work in the parks and, you know, just die. And I've always been a business nut, even when I was off the rails. Uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, so when I started this company, um, we, the intentions were we started an acquisitions company, but first we needed to sell homes in order to fund acquisitions. So right. we're traditional, we're, we work for a large company, a worldwide company called Keller Williams Realty. Many people have probably heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so we have the team within Keller Williams, but Rickard Property Group, our company, is a, um, uh, an acquisitions company that just happens to also sell real estate. Very cool. So you take kind of the funds from, from the traditional brokerage and then you're putting that back into the, in, into the investing. Correct. Into multifamily properties, apartment buildings, mobile home parks, and uh, you know, those types of, not, not industrial buildings, not, not group homes, nothing like that. Right, right. Uh, you guys are building <laughs> not just those you're not looking at the flips or the uh your your commissions from sales but you guys are truly building like long-term you know like legacy wealth we're looking at three three generations now so what do you call it Robert? one of the rat race yeah i can't have the rat race oh yeah robert kiyosaki you love him <laughs> andy did you hear that <clears throat> yeah no I, I i love it so can we talk about that now or do you want to still keep talking about their um, their experience with the group homes um yeah let's let's talk about that i think it's it's kind of become a common theme i think on almost every one of our interviews that that's kind of been the the game changer for a lot of people is the uh the rich dad poor dad so yeah if if, if i may so are you guys um syndicating deals or are y'all just doing this uh with internally generated funds? We currently use our own funds and also private money if we need to look at deals, go after deals. Uh, there, there was a time a couple of years ago I was looking at doing maybe some syndication, but because of the SEC complexities and all that, we just decided right now let's focus on uh Let's focus on working with maybe some smaller investors that want to be partners in a in a deal, uh, that type of thing, or just uh, do the acquisition ourselves. So that's kind of what that's where we're at now. We don't do any syndication. Cool. What what? Um, obviously, things are fairly you know frothy right now, in my personal opinion. A lot of it. I'm actually driving into a tier three market right now as we speak. Uh-huh. Quite frankly, because you, <laughs> the stuff even in the tier two markets has gotten so expensive that you know, at least from my personal opinion, the uh, the yields are too low for me to you know make sense of it. But 
obviously it just depends on how much money you're dealing with. Um, what, what are you guys, you know, buying in at uh, as far as from a yield standpoint or a cap rate basis? And what do you guys, you know, what do you look for? What are your minimum thresholds, so on and so forth? And what part of the country are you buying? Sure, that's a good question. Uh, good questions. We, we basically are, I would say, somewhat on the sidelines right now because of the compression of cap rates. Yeah. Uh, as, as you likely know, um, in the multifamily space. So we're, we look for cap rates, you know, in the 10, 9, and 10 range, cash on cash returns of 10 plus. And yep. uh, then we look for an emerging market or emerging area within our market, uh, right on the peripheries of, of some, you know, changes in neighborhoods, things like that. But we really, uh, as far as uh, out of the state goes, we really don't haven't done anything recently out of state. We've got, there's a real estate holdings in Florida, of course. And, uh, but we were focused in Albuquerque and the surrounding areas. We would go to Denver or out into Colorado, Texas, possibly in Arizona. But again, everything's so it's kind of crazy out there right now, as you guys know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's better just to pile up cash and wait for things to change a little bit. Yeah. How long have you guys kind of been on the sideline for? About a year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's gotten really ridiculous. All these, a lot of neophyte type investors, if you will, buying, you know, getting into the multifamily related stuff. And I mean, you see, you know, junk properties that are trading in the fives right. and you know, that next, next thing, you know, they're trading in the fours and you know, that, that uh, syndicator or whatever has flipped the deal to some other syndicator who's doing it for the fees. But if you're doing it with your own money, uh, as you guys are, you know, quite frankly, it doesn't really make sense to do in my opinion. Yeah. I'm glad that you, there's not, we're we're not all, sometimes I feel like we're alone. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I've been more or less out of, uh, out of that stuff. You know, even in Texas, in the tier, you know, I consider it like Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. I consider it a tier two market, right? I mean, San Fran, D.C., you know, the big cities are going to be your tier ones. The stuff in Texas, I call it tier twos. So I've actually been going into these areas that nobody's ever heard of. And then I play more on the debt side. Uh, Obviously, of course, we have these group homes that we love. They're great cash generators. It's more of an operating business. But you guys still there? Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Anyways, long story short, it is um, the stuff has gotten very expensive. It doesn't really make sense to to do the deals, in my opinion. Right. You know, it's a good good point. That, again, you're making on the on the the expensive junk that's out there. We so what's happening in Albuquerque. Uh, there are two, so I'll say two things. From the group homes perspective, uh, I think Albuquerque would make a, a tremendous uh, market for you guys to explore, uh, because of the because of the need out here. There, there's such a need. There's lots of uh, you know there are a lot of great things about Albuquerque and the surrounding areas. I love New Mexico. I came from the Silicon Valley, as you know, and uh, so. I don't believe all the hype on the news about how terrible Albuquerque is and the crime and all this stuff. And, you know, everywhere has crime. You've got homeless populations all over 
the country just exploding. Um, so, but from the standpoint of multifamily, a lot of Californians and uh, Texans and whatnot are coming into the Albuquerque market. And like you said, they're pushing down those cap rates for things that, I mean, class C properties that are should be trading in the nines, the nine cap or better, are, you know, in the six, sevens um, with very little cash flow. So, uh, you know, I think that I'm glad that you're seeing those things out there as well. Yeah, and I was talking to a guy the other day that I know, and they're they're actually starting to go out there to Albuquerque as well. And um, I think they he told me they bought something. You know, a lot of these cap rates, quite frankly, it boils down to who's doing the underwriting on them, right? right. And uh, he t- he was like, yeah, you know, we bought in at a six and a half or something like that. But you know, who knows, right? You won't really know until you've run a couple of years. And, you know, you figure out what the property taxes really come out to be and, and what the expenses really come out to be. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Albuquerque is a, you know, a decent multifamily market for um, for those folks. We primarily, you know, I, st- I started doing these group homes probably about 20 years ago. And, um, you know, it, more than anything else, it's an operating business where you get to own the real estate as well. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's a good, it's a really good business where you can help out a lot of people. It's not nearly as scalable as owning multifamily stuff. Um, yeah. But on the flip side of the coin, I mean, you could have 10 or 20 group homes and you're making more. I'm, I'm not joking. I know guys that are buying 20, 30, $40 million projects in Southern California. And, you know, they're taking 30% as a GP split and they're right. making money after it's all said and done. And they put, you know, 40% equity into the project and the GPs are making nothing. So, you know, you could have one or two group homes making more than a $40 million building in Southern California. That's amazing. Well, I was going to have a shameless plug. If you guys uh, are, are ever interested in Albuquerque, I know a couple of high octane, high performance real estate folks that can help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, by, by, by all means, please. Actually, just sent some stats to uh, to another gentleman up in North Dakota who uh, is in the group home space for uh, you know homelessness and whatnot. Cool. Was that Jamie? It was Jamie. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so our uh, our listeners should will uh, will will recognize Jamie. He was uh, he just recently did a podcast with us. So very very cool. Um. Yeah, and, and just kind of. Uh, we, we've been talking kind of a lot of like higher level stuff for, for our folks out there. <laughs> um, just kind of for, for the beginners out there, do you, do you guys mind breaking down uh, like what, what the cap rate is and, and stuff like that? You want me to do it or, or Andy or? I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my very simplified version and then I'll let you guys chime in. Yeah. Basically, if you, if you buy a, a property for cash and you pay a hundred thousand dollars for it and the thing nets you ten thousand dollars on an annual basis after all of your expenses then you're making ten percent on your money so it's a 10 cap that's the that's the easiest way for you to think about it again in right now in today's market typically speaking you guys can chime in if you pay a hundred grand for something or typically a million bucks because you know your thresholds are going to be a lot larger than a hundred grand. You pay a million dollars for something, the thing's going to net you, that meaning how much money is coming to you. 
Warren Buffett would call it owner earnings. So if 40 grand comes to you on a basis, that would be four. We kind of lost, yeah, we lost you a little after Warren Buffett. Okay. Well, and also a way to think about cap rates just simply is if your cap rate is low, let's say a 4% or a 3%, the property price is going to be high. They're inverse. So the, the higher the cap rate, the lower the purchase price of the property is, and typically the higher the risk would be. So if you're looking at a four, three cap, four cap, it's going to be probably class A property, meaning not always, especially based on what's going on these days, but uh, historically, a uh, low cap rate would be a class A property, beautifully taken care of, little deferred maintenance and all that. And a high cap rate, let's say 10, 11, 12, would be in a tougher area, class C, class D. And so that's kind of the way the cap rate And then on, um, on uh, by the way, I have a, I have a presentation if anybody's interested in it, I'll make it available to you guys. It's just the basics of real estate investing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes through some of these some of these uh, explanations that we're going over today. Gross rent multipliers, cash on cash returns, internal rates of return and things like that, that commercial real estate investors need to know and learn. Beautiful. And yeah, for the, for the folks listening out there, this is kind of the stuff that you, it's probably... Uh, you know, most of the people that come to us are working in like the nursing field, for example, and they just really kind of have the heart to to help people. But this is the type of stuff that even though you you don't naturally think of stuff like this, this is the type of analysis that you're going to want to do for, for your group homes. So, so you do, uh, obviously you want to provide great service, help people out, but on the back end, you do kind of have to uh, apply, you know, basic business business techniques to the business. So, um, and, and if I, if I may chime in real quick, Brandon, absolutely. In my personal opinion, the best way to be able to help out your clients is by making sure that you are very sound and you've done sound underwriting on the asset that you're acquiring. Um, so if you've got a low cost basis on the property, you're going to have more free cash flow. which if you want you can utilize in order to help out your clients. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, you don't you don't want to be you don't want to be stressed out about you know making your making your house payments or not making as much money as you thought you were going to. Uh, and then it just kind of starts a you know neg- kind of negative uh, snowball. Yeah. Yeah, snowball effect. Thank you. <laughs> You know what's helped me too, even in the residential space, uh, is really learning. I don't know, Annie, Brandon, how you guys feel about this, but you know, learning outside of residential real estate as a group home, let's say uh, a person evaluating that space to be in, you obviously need to know about how to buy a property, and that would be a residential property, which would be based on a market value of surrounding like type homes okay that's the market approach to valuations it's still good to learn a commercial uh, valuation based on income approach and all the things surrounding even though you're not necessarily going to be buying a commercial property which would be five units or five doors and up 
necessarily, but those same measures sometimes can work in a residential analysis, like debt coverage ratio, for example, would be um, how how much debt versus the income do you have um, for that particular asset? Um, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, ab absolutely. And that one of the beautiful things about owning group homes is the fact that your DSCR, your debt coverage ratio, your debt service coverage ratios are going to be extremely high compared to a standard multifamily rental property uh, or a residential rental property because you have all this operating cash flow that's coming in from the business itself. Um, so, yeah, I think that you're you're absolutely right, Mark and Robert. You've got to you know you've got to be able to analyze it from a you know from a number of of different standpoints. Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious now, have you kind of, have you kind of done like a similar analysis on, on your group homes and like figured out what, what the cap rates are? Well, you know, again, I mean, I hold them in, in two different entities and two different vehicles. So I have the, the actual group home uh, business is its own business. And then you have the real estate holding company. So Technically, the group home business is paying rent to the actual uh, holding company of the real estate. So my debt service coverage ratios are still going to probably be in that 1.25 to 1.7 range. Mm -hmm. um, but if you looked at it on a global basis, which you have to do when you're getting this stuff underwritten by the banks, I mean, you're, you're probably looking at three to four X bare minimum. Wow, that's pretty strong. Yeah. So com compare base basically like really simplified the the business model that that Andy does is really a way to rather than cash flow like a couple hundred bucks per rental property, he's netting like a, a couple thousand in, in most in most. Wow. Correct, Andy. Might have lost him. We lost him. <laughs> I was on mute again, but. Uh... Interesting. What, what kind of, uh, for, I'm sure your listeners are always wondering about uh, licensing and, and those types of uh, things. You, you guys probably talk about that all the time, but what type of licensing and whatnot do you need for a group home, depending on the group home probably? That, that is a great question and usually one of the most common, you know, and most asked questions is that people think that they need to become, they need to be licensed. Uh, there's advantages and disadvantages to, to becoming licensed. Uh, really the main, uh, the main disadvantage is really just like the time that it takes. Uh, there's a ton of confusion in it. <laughs> it takes a, a lot, of, a lot of money as well. And it comes with, with further, a lot more uh, regulation. Like, uh, we have a lot of people come to us. They've, they've actually gone through like, it's usually it takes them about a year to get through all the paperwork and everything like that. Then the inspector will come and uh, check out their home. And they they get hit with, uh, oh yeah, by the way, you need to you need to install a sprinkler system. That's going to be anywhere from like five to twenty thousand bucks. <laughs> um, but a a set, I mean, it, it's not required. A license is not required. So what what Andy does is he just if he has a tenant that does need some type of um, care that requires a license, he'll just use a, ho a local home health company. It's a 
kind of it's kind of a simple a simple idea. Uh, Andy, do you want to touch on kind of uh, on the licensing issue? Yeah, well, you know, we we basically just outsource everything to home health. Um, so for all intents and purposes, we're acting as a landlord uh, in an all bills paid, food is included sort of environment, and then any of the you know, any of the oxygen or what, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on the actual house itself. Cause we've got house for houses for younger males, younger females, older males, older females. So if it's more of like a geriatric house where they do actually need a lot of one-on-one supervision um, or they need, you know, doctors and social workers and caseworkers, I mean, we, we've got, we've got home health on speed dial. So the home health people are over there um, all the time and they love it because Quite frankly, I mean, they're making, it sounds bad, but they're helping out our clients. So it's good for us, but they're also making money when they're helping out our clients. So that's how, that's how we've structured everything. And you, you place a, uh, like a, some kind of an overseer at each of the properties, one person, two people. Yeah, it's really going to, it's going to depend on the property, but typically each property by and large, if it's a very low functioning property for for more elderly type individuals, um, then we're going to have two people there. Uh, but most of the properties just have a house manager, a standard house manager that's going to watch over everything. And then each each individual living in the property is going to have their own set of chores that need to be taken, you know, accomplished on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds real similar to the, uh, the phase two group home that we were at only the house managers that we had were uh, actually residents of the group home that had been there for a long time and established a good track record. And yeah. getting people, they just live there either rent-free or half-rent because the assistant house manager. Yep. That, yeah, that's exactly how we do it. Well, Yeah, so Robert, it sounds like that that the second kind of transitional home that, that you were stayed at, that's going to be very similar to like, well, you know, similar to what Andy's homes are like and what most of our members set up as well. So that owner probably, probably didn't need to have any kind of license or anything like that. Like, was there any, did you guys have any care that was required? Like, um, in the phase two one, there was not any care, but I do remember on the wall, there was something, there's some sort of license. I think it was, might have just been a certification posted. Probably like a CO or something. Yeah, some, yeah I think it was something like that. Yeah, so in, in some areas with the, uh, with like the sober living homes, they do, they're not necessarily required to become like a, a licensed assisted living facility but they do require like some, some type of certification really just so the local areas kind of know, you know, where, where the homes are at is from my understanding why they do that. Um, but it's, how do you deal with the uh, NIMBY, the not my backyard syndrome that's out there when you guys are uh, looking at sites and whatnot? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, our, one of our, our top kind of rules, if you will, is, be a good neighbor. Um, and that's easier said than done, especially if you've got, you know, I mean, on the older properties, the female properties, it's going to be a little bit easier. But if you've got, if you've got a property that's set up for 18 to 25 year old males that maybe have just been released, you know, from probation or what have you, 
they can be a little bit more rambunctious. Um, so you really have to be vigilant about how you oversee those properties. Um, but we just, uh, again, one of our, our core values is be a good neighbor. And so we're constantly talking to, you know, we're constantly talking to the neighbors and monitoring it. The neighbors know us, they know our house managers. If something's going, um, you know, not going the way that it should, they're going to call our, our primary house. We've got a, the way we've got everything structured, we've got house managers at each property. And then we've got somebody that oversees typically anywhere from seven to 10 homes. Um, and then of course I'm kind of obviously at the top, so I don't really, yeah, you know, I don't really, you know, know, which is good for me. I don't know any of the neighbors. Um, but that's, that's really how we, how we do things. And you are going to have, you're going to have some difficulties periodically, but that's, that's quite frankly, that's how businesses, you're always going to have challenges and no matter what business it is. So we just try to be good neighbors, keep the houses clean. If we are having problems with one of the residents, we, we got to move them out as soon as possible. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things where uh, like throughout the country, there are like kind of local, local disputes. Like the example that I use is similar to what Andy used. I mean, imagine if you're, you're in a, in a, in a neighborhood where it's a lot of, you know, younger families and you start say like a transitional home for, for prisoners, obviously the neighbors could be, you know, upset about that. I think I can, I can feel for them. <laughs> I would be too, you know, but uh, there's a, uh, the federal fair housing act that is usually, I mean, every time it's been tried, that's been upheld. Like the city, yep. the city can't say, you know, you know, you can't house people of, you know, trying to get sober or trying to come out of, out of uh, prison in this neighborhood. So definitely disputes can come up, but as, as Andy said, I mean, that's, that's one of the things where you want to kind of be proactive and be a good neighbor. <laughs> if there are issues at the, at the home, handle them quickly, get any problem tenants out of there quickly. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely one of the issues that can come up, but you know, there's, there's things that you can do to be proactive about it too. Yeah. To and, and, and really one, one rotten apple is going to spoil the entire bunch. So the minute that you do notice something going wrong with one of those individuals, you know, you got to snap your fingers and get them out of there as quickly as possible. And again, it's the same in any business. I mean, if you have a manufacturing company with 20 or 30 employees and you've got two employees that start poisoning the other guys and telling them, Hey, we're not making enough money. We're, you know, we're this, that, and everything else. You got to get in there and you got to get rid of those guys because if you don't, um, eventually the rest of the, you know, the workers over there in the company, um, they're, you're going to have a problem. So it doesn't matter if we're talking group homes, we're talking a real estate brokerage company, manufacturing plant, whatever it is, you gotta, you gotta rid the problem as quickly as possible. Yeah, you could actually invite them to, you know, a great group home company and they've got your competitor and, and uh, give them a name and number of your competitors. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. That's one strategy. <laughs> uh, well, hey, guys, uh, we, we need to, I got to wrap it up here in the next couple of minutes, but uh, I thought this this would be awesome for our members to hear some success stories of people who've actually gone through, through the group homes. So thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your story. Um, 
Thank you, you for having us. Yeah, yeah Mark, you, you mentioned you do you do kind of have like a, a course out there for folks that do want to learn about real estate investment. Where yeah, I'm not selling anything. I like to be of service to others and educate. I love educating. I love uh, you know being a guy that um, been uh, sober almost uh, going on 19 years now, and right. you know, there's, there's the other side of of, of sobriety where we, we can be. Uh, successful and the, and for those that have never struggled with any of that there's there's plenty of challenges for you know quote normal people too oh, yeah. so i developed uh you know i have a you know we do i have a youtube video that's a basics on real estate investing if you go to rickert property group just uh r-i-c-k-e-r-t i put out a video periodically and then i have a presentation on uh, more of a paper on the, the basic getting started in real estate investing. Uh, and that could be uh, single family homes. It could be fourplexes. We prefer five units and up. That's what I typically educate on mostly because if you look at it from a uh, exit strategy of selling a portfolio of uh, apartments or mobile home parks is certainly a lot easier than uh, a bunch of single family homes. However, group homes I could see would be different because now you're packaging up uh, a fairly uh, good cash generating machine. Yeah, it's almost like uh, I, c- I compare it to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not in the burger business, they're, they're in the real estate business. So it's similar to that. You get the real estate, you benefit from all the, all the advantages of, of owning real estate, but then at you also kind of have the operational business running out of the home. So that's an example I like to use. <laughs> um, so it, it's a, uh, it's rickertpropertygroup.com. If, if you guys wanted to go and, and learn more about uh, kind of the real estate investment side of things, which we always encourage folks to, to learn about really dive into, you can apply the same type of formulas that, that these guys use to analyze their properties, you can use the same formulas to, to analyze your business. Um, so very, very cool. Thank you guys so much for uh, for sharing your story. I think it'll be very inspirational for the folks out there. Uh, do we have any, any parting words? This is like to thank you for having us. You know, if anybody needs to reach me directly, my uh, cell phone number is uh, 505. 264 1016. Robert? Uh, yeah, 408 707 5973. Anytime. We would, uh, you know, our slogan here is What in the world can we do for you? <laughs> Real estate or not? Beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Andy, you have any, any parting words for the folks out no, there? No, other than thank you guys for coming along, uh, coming onto the podcast. We really appreciate it. And thanks for the great advice you're giving, giving to all of our listeners. Oh, Mike, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Goodbye.